Get ready to rock radio, music you want to hear. So we welcome uh, Rick Parfit, Status Quo. Hello, Rick. Hi, how are you? I'm very well. This is a, a really interesting film. Uh, I really enjoyed it, actually, funnily enough. Well, I'm pleased. I was watching it and I was thinking... Mm. You know, this reminds me of the old days when you used to have a chuckle and a good laugh and the, yeah. there wasn't any swearing in it. Uh, uh, there's some good tunes in it. Well, the thing about it is when, when we, we got the original script, which, which was about seven years ago, yeah. um, it was called um, Care Factor Zero <laughs> and it was going to be shot in Bangkok right. and it was a very dark story and it was a bit cheesy and uh, it was a bit nasty so um, we kind of let it drift onto the back burner because the script wasn't very very good mm. and uh, it kind of went away and consequently seven years later this new script arrived and oh, oh god here we go again mm. um, not you know notwithstanding the fact that I, I really wanted to do a movie but I, I, it, it it's got to be the right one, obviously. Yeah. Um, and one reads this script and you, you see that, you know, tramps are being pulled in by this organisation to play Russian roulette with a view to selling their organs on on the black market, you know. Mm. And I thought, God, this is quite interesting. And then, and you know, and you, you think they're filming it in Fiji and then you add Francis and me into the whole plot. And it becomes quite a caper mm. and uh, quite a colourful adventure. Well, you know, uh, so, I, so on that premise, we went, yeah, let's let's go ahead, let's let, let's do it. So, so Fiji was a, a bit of a test, and it wasn't Croydon or anywhere like that. Well, I mean, you know, I'd never been to Fiji, and uh, I was I was quite keen to to go and 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 see it and experience it as yeah. well, you know. Um, and we went out there with the, you know, we, did, we didn't really know whether we, we could act or not. I mm. mean, having seen Coronation Street, I thought, God, cringeworthy, you yeah. know. Well, I thought uh, you were good in 2005. Well, I mean, I, I, guess it's, uh, I guess it's looking at yourself, you yeah. know. You're always self-critical and other people go, no, you look fine and you acted fine. And, mm. like, oh, God, I didn't, you know, what, blah, blah, blah. But um, we got out there and we're surrounded by, you know, um, uh, Craig Fairbrass and, uh, and John Lovett. Yeah, he was funny, wasn't he? Oh, brilliant. So dry. Yeah. So dry. Face. And he, he had some great stories to tell. And we had a lot of laughs with him. We generally had a lot of laughs uh, through the movie. It was incredibly funny to do and mm. um, surrounded by a lot of good people uh, who were helping us along, you know. And... Um, it was a most enjoyable experience, and I, you know, I, I think the film's all right, uh, seeing as we did it for sixpence, as mm, it were, mm. in, in this, you know, in the climate uh, nowadays, to do a film for a million, a million and a half pounds is just unheard of, really. Is that what you did it for? Yeah. Wow. Shot the whole thing for um, lock, stock and barrel for that, for that sort of money. You know, when, I, when it came through to me, I, was, I, I was, um, had lots of things to do. And I thought, I'll, I'll watch it, I'll watch it, I'll watch it. So I went out in the garden for a while, and then I thought, no, I'm going to go and watch it now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like it was a chore. Uh, this is going to be a compliment, actually, Rick. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I know I'm leading up to it, but when I sat down and started to watch it, had a glass of wine with me, Yeah. I chuckled, yeah. I laughed. The next day I thought, oh, you know, I want to watch that again. Oh, well, that's great, that's uh, great. Well, I did the acid test on myself, because I live down in Spain, mm. and... Uh, I have a, a cinema at my house down there, and uh, I, I thought, well, when I first got it, I thought, well, I'll invite a couple of the neighbours over, and we'll have a couple of glasses of wine, yeah. and I'll see what they think mm -hmm. of it. So there was sort of six or eight of us all sitting down there in my cinema, and uh, 
and uh, I put it on, and I was really interested to see what they. And do you know what? They loved it. Yeah. They really liked it, and I thought, thank God for that. I know. And uh, my kids out there, I've got twins. They're five years old, and yeah. you know what? They love it. Yeah. Whether. It's seeing Daddy on screen. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's kind of fascinating. But, you know, they see me on the telly and all sorts. I think they genuinely, especially the underwater scene, they just mm. love it when Daddy's... I'm a superhero indoors now, yeah. you know, beating people up and, and fighting off sharks, you but, know. So Daddy's a bit of a hero indoors it, in the that, In that scene where you're both swimming underwater, obviously... I was I was laughing because I was thinking I, bet I would have liked to have been in the studio for the dubbing session on that. <laughs> yeah. I bet you had a few Well, I'll tell you what we did. We put the top of a bottle in our mouths. <laughs> uh, just a, a plain water, a top of a water bottle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you feel an absolute... Well, you feel very stupid, but it kind of works. Yeah. Was it Stuart St. Paul who had the idea of the film, who's the yeah. producer? It was him, was it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And did you did you find that you were involved in the casting or, or not? not? No, not at all. No? Oh, no, no nothing. Uh, just purely the acting. Um, well, if you can call it acting, let's say being ourselves. Yeah. But surrounded, you know, with Craig Fairbrass as well, who yeah. I now see regularly down in Spain. He's yeah. become a mate. And Laura Aikman, you know, yes. it was it's really, really good cast. We we had a thoroughly good time and can't wait to do it again. Let's fingers crossed. Let's talk a little bit about the double album that's coming out. Mm. Uh, what is your favourite? I asked Francis this. What's your favourite track on that album? Well, I have to say at the moment, my, my favourite track is, is one I wrote called Go, Go, Go. Uh. I, I, I remember when I was writing it, I wasn't I wasn't thinking quo. Funnily enough, mm. um, I was I was thinking screen. I was thinking action. Mm. I was thinking escaping. Mm. I was thinking running away mm. and how we're going to get out of this. And I was thinking all those things. And it kind of gives you a, a different mindset. And it's it's funny now because when I listen to the soundtrack album, mm. um, I can't quite get it. It's it's half the deal for me. Right. Um, when I watch the film and then I put the music on that album to the film it works isn't it or some of it anyway yeah uh, then to me it's it's the, the real deal going back when you were growing up who was uh, the people that were influencing you well, in the very first instance, I mean, it, it was Cliff Richard and the Shadows. Right. Um, I was that kid sitting in school, uh, not listening to what I was being taught, um, because I got a guitar by the time I was 10, by the time I was 11, I could play it. Mm. And um, I would sit there thinking, well, I want to be in show business. And, you know, I loved Lonnie Donegan, and I loved Cliff and the Shadows, and that was what was really responsible for making me play the guitar was Hank and Bruce, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, knew, I knew what I wanted to do. So my last uh, couple of years at school, I, I just sat staring out the window thinking, well, how am I going to do this when I leave school? And... Um, Luckily enough, I, I, I um, secured a job at a holiday camp six weeks after I left school. Mm. I was sitting in a bar in a holiday camp playing my guitar. So um, things started off really well for me. You know, I, I already sort of achieved what I wanted to do, which was being out playing my guitar to people. Mm. And then my 
aspirations rose to, you know, I wanted to expand this, and mm. I formed a trio, and we went on tour in Europe then, uh, doing all the American air bases. And once again, I found myself, well, I'm here, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm, you know. And then we did a summer season at Butlins where I met up with the Spectres, mm. who were this great rock, little rock and roll band. Mm. And um, I thought, God, I want some of that. Mm. So the trio I was with, I got a bit frustrated with that then and thought, well, you know, I want to move upwards. So the trio disbanded and uh, I found myself doing nothing for a while. I I became a a baker's roundsman, you know, and I was uh, not not really very happy about that. And then I got the call from the band uh, who I'd met at Butlins. Mm. Uh, said, would you like to join? We need an extra voice in the band. So, mm. Yeah, I'll join. So, and, and that was that. And that happened in 1967, two years after meeting them. Uh, they asked me to join. So I joined in 67. Matchstick Men was in 68. And uh, and here we are. Did your life change completely when you had the number one album in 73, Hello? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, life has, had expanded and you you found yourself with all these these luxuries in life that you never ever ever really thought that you were going to have um uh you know cars and lovely houses even even at that stage you know um and of course you know people uh adoring you on stage and uh giving you this amazing reaction Mm. through the 70s it was just incredible as we were breaking and as we were getting bigger the reactions were getting more and more astounding, you know. Mm, mm. And it was um, just a magical time where we seemed to be getting bigger by the hour, mm. you know, let alone the day or the week or the year. Wilson. We were just getting bigger all the time. I had, um, I had lunch with uh, Russ Ballard and Bob yeah. Henrit on uh, Monday. Yeah. And Bob was saying that he toured with um, uh, Roger, Roger through um, the 70s, part of the 70s, and he was saying about Keith Moon. And he said, you know, this is, it was, took a lot of thought to throw the televisions out the window. And I said, how do you mean? He said, no, 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 what he used to do is he used to make sure that the cable was long enough so when they threw it out the window, it was still on when it hit the pavement. Now, have you ever, have you ever done anything like that? Well, I've never actually thrown a television out of a window. Right. No, I... Um, so what have you done then? Uh, well, we've, we've driven cars into lakes and uh, we've been fairly silly on the road. You know, there's been floors that have been fairly badly wrecked because so, we, after the show every night we would, we would have uh, what we, we called Blackie's Bar. Right. And there were two uh, road managers we had with us uh, called the Black Brothers, and boy, oh boy, they could drink, and they, they made drinks up. Yeah, they were they professionals. Were called, yeah, they were called Long Throws and uh, Blue Skies, Crash Barriers, <laughs> and uh, somewhere docu- documented in the, the Hello Quo documentary, I yeah. think you can see the the menu for these drinks. Mm. And, uh, oh, God, every night. I mean, we, we used to, as I said to you earlier, we used to steal the plants from downstairs and, and the road crew being the, the road crew, if there was a piano down there, they'd get it in the lift and up it would go to our floor. <laughs> and uh, we had Mike's place, which was Francis's room where all the Wong was being smoked. You had um, Magic Fingertips Club, which was my my room yeah. where everybody was massaging everybody <laughs> shall we say and uh then you had bob's bar and disco which was bob young's uh our tour manager yeah. at the time um and everybody was just going fucking mad yeah. all the doors were were taken off their hinges and somehow in those days you get away with it yeah can you imagine now i mean you'd have the police round and the, you know the, 
the management would be up in arms. Something just springs to mind on that. When you were doing all this, uh, let's go back to 1999, and you had a full orchestra. Um, oh, the proms. Was it the, just the proms? Yeah, yeah. Just, that was, that, that was the, the proms in, uh, in Antwerp. All right. And we did, oh God, I don't know, we did about uh, three weeks in a Antwerp um, every night uh, at 18,000 people with a 100-piece orchestra behind us. Mm. Um, which is incredible. That was an experience and a half, I'll mm. tell you. But no, we, uh, we didn't get up to any kind of those capers there. Backstage, mm. there was a lot going on yeah. with the orchestra because they're all mad. Yes, of course. All these, you know, the brass section and the string section, they're, they're all nutters and they're all up on their feet and, you know, waving their violins around in the air. And, oh, it was a fantastic experience. But back at the hotel, nothing like that happened. Who do you listen to at the moment, you know, when you're not recording and you're not talking? <laughs> Well, I, I, I don't listen to very much, actually. I've got very kind of... Uh, the only time I really listen to anything is, mm. is in the car. Mm. Uh, because at home, for me, it's full on with the kids and stuff, you know. Yeah. And being li living in Spain, we're mostly outside anyway. Yeah. We're either swimming or running around the garden playing something, you yeah. know. And uh, we tend not to uh, listen to very much at home, to be honest with you, because when the kids go back and go to bed in the evening, me and the missus put the telly on, you know. Um, uh, but in the car, we are big on ABBA at yeah. the moment. Oh, right. We are very big on ABBA. We're, we're big on the Travelling Wilburys, yeah. and we're big on, on Tom Petty. So you don't play Michael Holiday then? No, but I used to love Michael Holiday. Yeah, do you know you used to suffer from the most awful stage fright? Yeah, I did hear something about yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was at Butlins as well, you know? Yes. Fantastic. I'm going to write story oh, of my, my life. life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I loved Michael Holiday. I thought he was great. But I liked David Whitfield as well. Oh, yes, yeah. 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 I loved that, that era. I liked Jim Reeves. I yeah. liked Nat King Cole. Oh, and you see, I will listen to all that as well. Yeah. Only recently I've been listening to all those artists. Yeah. And I'll combine that with listening to ACDC. Yes. Who I really rate as well. Yeah. And Tom Petty and Fleetwood Mac. Love them. That's all my sort of uh, era. That's, that's the sort of stuff I love. You've been going 45 years with Quote. Do you reckon uh, 50 years you'll make 50 years? Yeah, I would think so, providing uh, we don't die. Um, because I think that probably is the only thing that would stop us, because it's fairly conclusive, really, when you die, and that's the end. That is the end, isn't it? Yeah. So but I don't see anything else stopping us. Good. Francis and I have said over the years, right, let's give it another, you know, give it another five years and see see what happens. When you think about your routine this year and your touring routine, you're going to Germany, Netherlands, Denmark, Austria, Switzerland, Sweden. You're making me tired. God, I mean, you, you know, you, you really do work hard. We do, we do. And when, um, you, and when you're on stage, you work hard too, don't we you? We do. That's what we are. That's, that's how we've always done it. That's the kind of band we are. It's not, it doesn't come as a shock to us. No. Uh, it just doesn't. I mean, you know, that's what we do, and that's how we do it. What was going through your mind uh, when you were waiting to go on stage in July 1985 for Live Aid? I was extremely nervous. Uh, we'd never played at that time to an audience of 80 2000 I think right. were there it was a beautiful day mm. and I was on the side watching this brass band marching up and down on the stage and uh, I thought God we, you know this is just awesome by that time I'd got to the stage where I'd become enough of a professional to know how to deal with nerves mm. before you go out to any given audience yeah. you know yeah. 
But to go in out to 82,000, opening this thing up worldwide, mm. um, gave me uh, quite a fright. Uh, it was awesome. Loved every second of it. Do you remember how many people watched it through the through the world? Well, billion. It was a billions, wasn't it? One point um, nine billion people across. A hundred and fifty nations were watching you. Yeah. Were you conscious of them? I know you were say you were nervous with the crowd, or slightly nervous with the crowd. But were you conscious of the people watching in sort of Africa or Australia? I was aware of it. About halfway through our set, right. I suddenly became aware of all these cameras down in front of us. You know, mm. and uh, I was just trying to get over the the awesomeness of it, getting on there and playing rocking all over the world. And then you, 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 you start to relax a, a little bit. And I, it, it did dawn on me, God, how many people are watching this? It did dawn on me. But, I mean, we were on there for 14 minutes, I think it was. Mm. And it went past like a minute and a half. Yeah. I can't tell you. It was just all over before it had begun. When you look back at your career, what was the actual highlight of your career? Uh, well, there's been so many, really. I mean, one is tempted to say uh, Live Aid. Mm. One is tempted to say the reunion with the Frantic Four that yeah. we've just recently done. That yeah. was an awesome experience. Yeah. But, you know, when I look back over the years, um, I remember when we were first on the radio, when Magic Men was played, Brian Matthews played us on, on Saturday morning. Yeah. And I was living at home with my parents at the time. Mm. And I said, Mum, 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 come in here. We're on the radio. And that was the first time I'd heard myself. And that, to me, was... And then when my harmony came in, I'm actually singing on the fucking radio. <laughs> and it was amazing for me. That was an, an incredible moment. And then doing Top of the Pops, what, we're going to, I'm, I'm going to be on Top of the Pops? Because yeah. I'd watched it for years, you yeah, know? Yeah. And uh, suddenly I was going to be on it. That was amazing for me. I, yeah. I must tell you, I mean, one of the charities that we do is the Nordic Robins yes. for autistic children. Yeah, yeah. And it was a little old uh, tumbled-down house in, in Kentish Town mm. in, in, in London. And mm. um, we did the Nebworth gig, and what a pleasure it was to go out and meet all the, you know, see all the other artists that were on and go on ourselves to do an hour, mm. you know, and have a thoroughly nice day and go and play for an hour. And everybody says what saints we are, you know. And, well, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot out of my life to go out and, and, and have a nice day and play what I do for an hour to raise all this money. Mm. And collectively, between us, I mean, it was a huge amount of money with the DVDs and the spin-offs from it, mm. whatever. Mm. And then I remember about, I don't know, a year later, perhaps, going into town and seeing this sparkling new building for these autistic children to learn. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, you know, I'm the Duchess of uh, uh, Fergie was opening it. Mm. And uh, Gilmore was there and a few other people and, and me and Francis. And you just think, well, I, I did this. Mm. I, I was part of this. And that was one of the most awesome moments. I was so, And I always will be. I went back there recently and uh, saw this building again and thought, well, you know, I, 
I helped build this, and that really is the the greatest thing you can do. Well, we can't top that at all. No, you can't. Uh, thank you so much, Rick, for being My on pleasure. the show today. Nice talking to you. Best of luck with Bula uh, Quo yeah. and the film. Love the film. Brilliant. And uh, uh, anybody that hasn't seen them, uh, go and get tickets for their tour. You get onto their website, have a look at all of that. But Rick Parfit, thank you very much. You've been listening to Peter Ross speaking to Rick Parfit and Francis Rossi of Status Quo. Get ready to rock radio.